You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Let's pray and we'll get started. Y'all ready tonight? Yes, I'm ready. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for again for another opportunity to gather together as a group of believers, Father. Lord, I thank you again for the promise that the Lord Jesus made when he said that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he is right here in our midst. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for visiting with us tonight. Thank you for manifesting yourself to us. Lord, we have gathered to study your word, and so we believe, Father, to be taught. We believe for instruction and revelation by the Holy Ghost. And Holy Spirit, we give you permission to be our teacher to t- tonight, to lead and guide us into all the truth. And thank you, Lord, that as we do, our faith will be built up and increased. I thank you, Lord, that we will finish our Bible study tonight better off than when we started And Lord, we just believe in advance to receive everything that you have for us. And Father, we love you with all of our hearts, and we give you all the praise for everything that'll be done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, we're going to... uh, take just a couple of moments and and review and talk about some of the points that we've already discussed. This is week number four in talking about seven steps to prayer that brings results. And, uh, you know, again, as I've said to you, God desires for us to pray prayers that gets results. You know, God is not trying to hold out answers to prayer from us. He's not keeping them from us. He desires for us to be able to receive everything that he has for us. And so, uh, you know, I'm thankful for that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank the Lord that he is uh, instructing us on how to receive so that we can walk in everything that he has for us. So let's look at these seven steps and uh, I'll just highlight what we've covered already. And, um, you know, if the Holy Spirit leads, we'll, we'll make some comments, but here's number one. Number one is this, decide what you want or need from God, and then get the scriptures, find the scriptures that definitely promise you those things. So decide what you want or need from God and get the scripture, find the scriptures that definitely promise you those things. And I encourage you in this, be specific with your prayer. Uh, You know, if you're praying for somebody it's okay to pray this if you don't know what else to pray, but don't just pray this, bless so-and-so. No, pray some specific things for people. Pray some specific things for yourself and um, base those things on the word of God. Go to the word, find out what the word says, because that's where your boldness and your confidence in prayer is going to come from, is from the word of God. And of course, we looked at 1 John chapter 5 that says this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So the way that we know that something is the will of God is when we find it in the word. If you find it in the word, you can count on it being yours. And all you have to do is pray and believe that you receive it. 
and uh, it will be yours. And uh, so, again, one of the reasons that we talked about spending time in the Word before you even pray or basing your prayer on the Word of God is because you're going to need that Word uh, to stand for the answer, to fight the good fight of faith. And you're going to need to know what the Word says because the enemy is going to try and get you to back away from what you believe. He's going to apply pressure to you if it's a a need or a situation that you're praying about. He's going to apply pressure to you to get you to back down and to basically give up and quit. And uh, when we know what the word says, you'll have the word that you can contend with him in that. Okay. So, and that brings us to number two. Number two is when you have found the word, meditate constantly on the promises that you have found and that you based your prayer on. Meditate on those verses constantly. Uh, that's why I encouraged you uh, over the last couple of weeks, take the time to record those things. Write them down. Get you a legal pad, uh, or you know, if you have uh, a Bible software, you can look it up that way and print it out. But I encourage you to, to once you find those scriptures, get them and put them in a form where you can refer back to them and then spend time meditating on those scriptures. Take one scripture a day or one scripture a week. Uh, you know, I remember Brother Hagin used to say that he would spend sometimes days meditating on one scripture before he ever prayed about a situation because he wanted to get that word down in his heart. So spend time meditating on those scriptures, building them into your spirit. What you're doing is you're allowing those scriptures to become rooted in your heart and uh, get down deep on the inside of you. We talked about how you need to, uh, under this point, you need to keep your attention on the word. Uh, Proverbs chapter four says, you know, that we need to fix our attention on God's word. Don't let your attention venture from the left or the right. Uh, and then, and then keep your eyes fixed on the word of God. Now I know literally you can't do that, but uh, in the sense of 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But what do you base your attention on? What you know? What are you placing your attention on? And that's that's where we need to place our attention and keep it on the Word of God. We looked at Joshua chapter one and verse eight, where the Lord told Joshua to meditate in the Scriptures day and night, so that he could observe to do all that is written in the Scriptures, and then he would make his way prosperous, and he would have good success. So when you spend time meditating on the Word, you're building that into your spirit, and then you're allowing the the picture of that, the imagination of that to stay in front of you so that you can keep your faith focused. Then number three, we said pray and believe that you receive the answer. Pray and believe that you receive the answer. Jesus said in Mark 11, 24, Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive the answer and you will have the answer, or believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, it's interesting and it's very important that you notice that he said, believe that you receive them when you pray, not when the answer shows up. You don't need faith when the answer shows up. You need faith when you pray to believe that you receive it at that moment. And so believe that you receive it at that moment. 
Last week, we talked about two different kinds of uh, truth or information that you're going to be presented with. The first one, we talked about how it's uh, what E.W. Kenyon calls sense knowledge truth. In other words, things that are revealed to you by your five physical senses. And then the second type of truth that you and I will deal with is called revelation truth from God's word. Now, these two are great as long as they work together, but there are going to be times in your life when those two aren't going to be running side by side, that they're going to be, one is going to be contrary to the other. So you're going to have to make a decision. What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what you see with your five physical senses, or are you going to believe what the word of God says? And again, that's all part of that fight of faith so that you, uh, you know, we're not pretending that things don't exist. We're not denying their existence. We just choose to place our focus on what the word has said to us instead of what our five physical senses are telling us. You might be believing God for healing in your body. And when you uh, make that prayer, you say, Lord, I believe that I received my healing. I believe Jesus took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses, and by his stripes I'm healed. And the moment that you believe that and you receive that, the symptoms may not change in your physical body. So you've got a choice to make at that moment. Are you going to continue and believe what the word says? Or are you going to believe that your prayer didn't work because nothing changed immediately? Well, the thing is that we have to believe what the word says in spite of what the natural circumstances might be telling us. And here's the reason why, and we talked about this last week, and that is this, natural truth, the truth that we can perceive with our five physical senses, has to bow its knee to the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word can change the facts that we perceive with our five physical senses. The word of God goes to work to change those things behind the scenes. If you remember, we looked at Mark chapter 11, and when Jesus cursed the fig tree, Peter noticed, he said this, he said, the fig tree which you cursed, talking to the Lord, he said, the fig tree which you cursed has withered from the root. And if you'll recall, the root is the part of the plant that we cannot see. It's not readily available for, for you to be able to see on the surface. But when Jesus spoke to it and released his faith, that his faith went to work, the word went to work on the root of the situation and not the fruit or the external parts of the situation. So this is what's going to happen with you. When you release your faith, you begin to declare God's word over that situation, you're going to find that it may not change on the outside immediately, but you can know for a fact that at the root of the situation, it is changing. And very often it takes time for what's going on at the root of the situation to show up on the external. You know, even with Jesus and cursing the fig tree, it was a full 24 hours before the evidence could be visible to the natural eye that what Jesus had declared and released his faith was actually happening or did happen and could be seen in the natural realm. So the same thing is true for us. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read this verse last week, but I want to read it again. It says this in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Look at verse 18. 
while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So it would do you good if you can, either in your notes or in your Bible, where by the word temporary, write this, they are subject to change. So what Jesus, or the Apostle Paul rather, by the Holy Ghost said, is that things that we can see with our five physical senses are subject to change. So again, we have to put our gaze and look at on the things which are eternal, which is the word of God, and that endures and lasts forever. All right, so let's go to number four, point number four. And I believe we gave you this point, but uh, let's say it again. Never permit a mental picture of failure to enter your thinking. Never permit a mental picture of failure to enter your thinking. In other words, don't let a picture of you not receiving the answer to your prayer, don't let that picture ever come into your thinking. And so you're in it to win it. You're in it to uh, get the results that the Lord has promised that we would have by the word of God. And so don't allow a picture of failure to enter into your thinking. Now, here's how this is very, very subtle, okay? And the enemy will get you to begin to entertain a plan B. In other words, what are you going to do if your prayer doesn't get answered? What is your plan B in case your prayer, which is plan A, doesn't work? And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to make a decision. There is no plan B. We're sticking with plan A until we receive the answer, until we receive the manifestation of what we're praying about, okay? So so you stay with that until you see the answer, until the answer is manifest. So what you're going to have to do, and we'll talk more about this in just a second, you're going to have to uproot every thought, image, dream, impression, or feeling that is contrary to what you have prayed and believe that you received. And we'll talk about that, how to do that in just a moment. Now, here's another thing that the enemy will do that's very subtle, is after you've prayed, after you've released your faith and you're standing in faith on God's word, he'll try and get you to keep checking to see if anything has happened, if anything has changed. You remember, I I can remember being in kindergarten or first grade early on in in school. And you remember when we got the little Dixie cups, the little bitty solo Dixie cups, and uh, the teacher would give us a little bit of dirt and then would give us a bean seed. And uh, you'd plant that bean seed in that little cup of dirt. And then somewhere in the classroom would be a window and everybody could put their little cups of dirt. And of course, you'd water it and put it in there, put it in the window. And then after a period of time, you, you know, could see your, your little plant coming forth and breaking through the ground. Well, here's what the devil will try and get you to do is go in there every day, maybe more than once a day and get your cup and dig around in the dirt and see if anything has changed with your seed. And if nothing's changed, get you to put it back in the dirt, put it back in there 
And then next day, he'll get you to come and dig up your seed one more time, see if anything's changed. And if it hasn't changed, see, my point is this, is that he keeps getting you to look and see, is anything different? Okay. And that's a very subtle thing that the enemy does to try and cause you to stumble in your faith. Kathy, did you have something? Yeah, I, I just was reminded that when I, my grandmother it was long before I was born, but when she, um, she had went for prayer because she had a goiter, a huge goiter in her, in her throat. And um, she went forward for prayer at church. And my dad told me that um, when she came home, she got rid of all the mirrors and she wouldn't go and look and she, she didn't even feel her throat. She just got rid of the mirrors and she said, it's healed and that's, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to even worry about it. It's, it's healed. God's healed me. And after three days, her goiter was gone. Wow. Praise God. Yeah. Well, the temptation was there for her to yeah. check and see, was anything <laughs> happening to it? So, hey, very wise lady. What did she do? She got rid of the temptation, right. you know? and just refuse to allow the devil to trip her up that way. Cause that would be real easy to do. I mean, it'd be something that would be staring you in the face every time you went to the bathroom or, you know, you looked at the mirror for some shape or form, you know, there's that thing staring you in, in the face and declaring. And what it will do is it'll declare to you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving. I'm not changing. And so what she had to do when that worked for her is get rid of the mirrors so she couldn't see it. And, uh, you know, that's what helped her. You might have to do the same thing. And so it just depends on what your situation is. But all right. So let me remind you again, I quoted this just a moment ago, but Joshua 1.8, make a note of this. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So the key word being there in Joshua 1.8 is meditate. Now go over with me to Psalm 1 the very first Psalm and look there with me, Psalm one. And I want to read verses one through three, Psalm one verses one through three. All right. Psalm one, look at verses one through three says this blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Underline the word meditates there in your Bible, please. And it says in verse three, the guy who does this, the person who does this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, shall prosper. How would you like to be in a position where whatever you do prospers? Well, if you meet the conditions found in verses one through three, that's a promise that, that the Lord has made to you. So what are, what is it? And so we, we uh, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't stand at where in uh, the path of sinners and sit at the seat of the scornful, but our delight is in the word of God and in, in his word, we meditate day and night. So again, that word meditate there in the Hebrew in this verse is the same word as meditate in Joshua chapter one and verse eight. Okay. Now drop down to the second Psalm, just right 
down a little few verses later on. In verse one of, of the second Psalm, David wrote this, why do the nations rage and the people, the old King James says, imagine a vain thing. Now, the, what's interesting is the word for imagine, now in the new King James, it says plot, P-L-O-T, but the word there is the same word that's translated meditate in Joshua 1, 8 and uh, Psalm Two, uh, one verses one through three. So my point is this, in the Hebrew language, the word meditate can really be translated imagine. And so this is where we get the principle from that when you spend time meditating in the word of God, you spend time imagining your life being lived out according to the word. I was talking to someone last night and, 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 helping them uh, with some healing scriptures and things and, and, and brought out this principle. And that is when you are receiving healing in your body, you need to imagine yourself as healed. So what would you do if you no longer had any physical limitations in your body? If your body was 100% healed, what would you do? And, and, and this person responded and told me what they would do. And I said, great. I said, now, when you're meditating and thinking about the word of God and the fact that you are the healed of the Lord, begin to imagine yourself doing those things. See yourself doing those things. And that's the power of imagination that God has given us. And, uh, you know, we used to call it when I was in school, daydreaming. Anybody in here ever get in trouble for daydreaming in school? Um, you know, and, and what's interesting is, and it's kind of sad in one respect, and that is this, we're taught to not daydream. You know, we get in trouble in school for daydreaming, and, and so what we do is we teach ourselves not to daydream. But I, but I want to submit this to you. At the appropriate time, daydreaming on the Word of God is what you need to be doing. You need to be spending time seeing your life being lived out according to the Word. If the, if the Bible says in Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, then begin to imagine and see your life without any needs, without any financial needs. You know, the Bible tells us that abundance belongs to us. So what you need to do is see your life as though you not only have no needs, but you have more than enough and you're able to meet the needs of other people. Begin to imagine yourself helping somebody pay their, their debts off. Imagine yourself being able to go buy someone that needs a car, a car, uh, you know, and somebody says, well, pastor, I don't even have a job right now. Well, that's all right. You got to start somewhere, but begin to imagine and see yourself with your life lined up with what the word promises us and has declared over us. You know, if you have problems with worry and anxiety, you know, imagine what your life would be like with total peace, where, you, you know, there is, you don't have a care in the world, that, that peace is just in control of your life and ruling over your life, and begin to see your life that way. All right, here's number five. And these two work hand in hand. Number five is this, Guard against every evil thought that comes into the mind. 
guard against every evil thought that comes into your mind. Now, an evil thought would be one, obviously, that's contrary to the word. So guard your mind against every thought that wants to enter your thinking that's contrary to the word of God. Now, I'd appreciate it if you'd write this down, please. And that is this. Did you finish number five yet? Did you get yeah. that? Okay. Write this down. Thoughts are governed by observation, association, and what you have been taught. Thoughts are governed by observation, association, and what you have been taught. Another way of saying it is, is thoughts are generated from these things. So, so thoughts come from what you observe, who and what you associate with, and what you have been taught in the past. Okay, so... Let's, you know, think about these things a little bit. So if you have a particular thought pattern in your life, it could have come because of something you observed. You know, I, I have noticed, and uh, maybe uh, you can recall this as well. I, I know uh, relatives of mine that, uh, you know, were older. Many of them have, have gone home to be with the Lord or whatever, but that grew up during the Depression and uh, lived through that and observed what life was like during the Depression, even though they might have been younger at that time, but they saw their parents struggling to make ends meet during the Depression and how hard and difficult those times were. And so what would happen and what the tendency could be is for you to develop that kind of mindset and thought pattern into your own life because that's what you experienced. Uh, you know, I've had relatives that grew up during that time period that absolutely didn't throw anything away because we might need it one day. Uh, you know, my grandfather, who, whom I love dearly and, and, you know, greatly respect, he's gone, gone to heaven, but, you know, he used to walk all the time every day. And uh, if he found you know, a glove while he was out walking, a work glove or something, he'd pick it up and bring it home. And it didn't matter if it was a left-hand glove or right-hand glove. It was never a pair of gloves. It was always just one. And so he'd bring it home. And in his workshop, he had a five-gallon bucket in that workshop full of mismatched gloves. Now, here's the thinking, and I'm not knocking him, I'm just saying this is how these thought patterns uh, get built in. And that is this, the thinking enters in, well, I might need that someday. And so, you know, I'll be able to find a mate to it or something, and I'll be able to use that pair of gloves. Well, there were gloves in there that he never used for the rest of his life after he found them and brought them home. But that was just a mindset that he had built in. He, and he would find all kinds of stuff when he would be out walking and every single thing he would bring home. Now, to his credit, he found some money. He would find, you know, a lot of change. And then he'd pass that on to my grandmother. But, uh, you know, but tools and things like that, that he would find, even though he might have already had one, he would still bring it home because you might need that someday. 
And so you learn things like that from observation and experience, what you what you experience. And then association, certain people that you might hang around with that have certain behaviors can shape thought patterns in your thinking. And then lastly, how we're taught, what we're taught, both spiritually and, and, and naturally. Um, you know, I know a lot of people that have thought patterns based on what they have been taught from the Bible in church in the past that is not necessarily what the scripture says, you know, um, wrong ideas, wrong thought processes, you know, and I, one good example would be, uh, you know, somebody that's, that has been taught in church that God uses sickness and disease to bring correction and teaching into our lives. And uh, they believe that with all of their heart and that thinking entered in because somebody stood in a pulpit probably and told them that, and the Bible never says that, okay? So those that's how thoughts come in. Now, what are you going to have to do? Well, you're going to have to be responsible for those three areas in your life. You're going to have to guard your mind and not let just any thought get into your thinking. You know, we're not rude. We're not mean to people and all of that kind of thing. But, you know, you're just going to have to refuse to allow certain thought patterns to enter into your thinking. You know, a, a, a life of abundance learns to let things go, doesn't hoard up, doesn't, you know, pile up. A life of abundance where you're sowing into other people's lives, you might have to change your thinking a little bit and learn to be a conduit and not a, 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 a valve that stops everything, if you will. So it's all in what you choose to think. And so the responsibility, though, belongs to us. It is our responsibility what we think about, okay? Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to look at a, a little scripture. You know, we've studied these things before, but I want to review them again. Second Corinthians chapter 10. And um, let's look at this. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Paul tells us what to do with those thoughts. Now, listen, I'm going to say this. Thoughts are going to come. You can't stop thoughts from entering into your thinking, but you can determine what happens to them in your life. You know, Brother Hagin used to say this. He said, you can't stop thoughts from coming into your head any more than you can stop a bird from flying over your head, but you surely can stop that bird from building a nest in your hair, okay? And what he meant was that thoughts are going to come to all of us, but if you won't let that thought linger and let that thought dwell, it'll, it'll die unborn. But let's see how to deal with these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses three through five, Paul said this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So he's, he's telling us how to contend and, and wage a warfare spiritually for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now strongholds, He's not talking about demonic fortifications here. He's talking about something that gets built right here in between your ears. Okay. So he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now look at this verse five, casting down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, if you remember, I said this to you, I think it was last week, but when you allow a thought to get into your thinking and you, you dwell on it, you will begin to build pictures on that thought. Okay, let me prove it to you. If I say this to you, duck, D-U-C-K, duck, like the animal, okay? What you immediately picture in your mind is that bird with the, you know, the yellow bill on it, probably a white bird or Donald Duck, whatever. But, but you don't think and see in your mind the words, the letters D-U-C-K. You picture the animal, just like if I said cat to you, you picture a cat. You don't think in letters. You think in pictures. So that's why Paul said that we have to cast down imaginations. You're going to have to pull those pictures down. And he said this, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and here's the key, and bringing into captivity. Now, in the Greek language, that word captivity means this, to subdue or bring into subjection. He said, you're going to have to bring every thought, make every thought subdue to you or be in subjection to you. Okay. All right. Now, he said, bringing into every thought. Now, the verse starts with the phrase casting down. What's interesting in the Greek language, the word casting down means to demolish, to destroy. Okay, so you're going to have to destroy some imaginations by beginning to cast down, bring some thoughts into subjection. Every thought, he says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, that word obedience there means this, compliance, compliance. So you're going to have to measure every thought that comes into your thinking and ask yourself this question. Is this thought compliant to the word of God? Which when he uses the reference of Christ, that is Jesus is the word. So what you're doing is you're measuring every thought you're evaluating that thought, and you're seeing if it is compliant to the Word of God or not. If it is not compliant to the Word of God, then you're going to have to do something with it. If it is compliant with the Word of God, then it's okay to accept that and to receive that thought. Now, here's what will happen over time. When you begin to practice this, it will become second nature to you. It will become I don't want to say automatic, but it almost seems automatic in that your mind will become trained to evaluate these things and weigh them out. And it's almost like when a thought's presented to you that is not compliant to the word of God, it's like an alarm will go off and say, hey, this is a bad thought. Okay. So what do you do with that bad thought? What? How do you deal with it? Well, you're going to have to pull it down. You're going to have to Bring it into subjection. And the way you do that is you open your mouth and you speak words that are contrary to that thought. So if that thought is saying, well, 
you're not healed. You didn't get, you didn't get your healing this time. No, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to, instead of thinking about that thought and saying, well, you know, it is right. I don't feel anything changing in my body. My symptoms don't seem any different. No, you're going to have to open your mouth and you're going to have to say what the word says, which is contrary to that thought. So when that thought enters your mind, just say, no, in Jesus name, I have received my healing and I am the healed of the Lord. I'm healed in my body from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And then the thought's going to come, well, your symptoms haven't changed. It doesn't matter. I'm still the healed of the Lord and I am healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. What are you doing? You're casting down that thought before it has a, a chance to begin to build pictures. Now, let me give you an example of this and how we, how we do this. Um, anybody ever had a difficult conversation that you needed to have with someone? You know, you, you know, you needed to talk to someone about something that was not going to be a comfortable situation. And so what do you do? You begin to think about that conversation and you begin to imagine how that conversation is going to go. You'll actually, if you think about it enough, you'll have that whole dialogue already planned out in your thinking of how that's going to go. It'll go something like this. Well, I'm going to say this. And then they'll probably respond and say this. And then when they say that, then I'm going to say this. And then they'll probably respond with this. And I'm going to say this. And then they're going to get a little upset and probably raise their voice. And when they do that, I'm going to get upset and I'm going to raise my voice. And I'm going to tell them this because I'm going to try and beat them to the punch. See, what are you doing? You're already mapping that out based on something that hasn't even transpired yet but yet you've built that imagination into your thinking. And here's what will happen because you've built that into your thinking. If you meditate on it long enough, you will act it out without realizing that you're acting it out. Okay. And that we do this and don't even realize that's what we're doing, but that's exactly what the scripture is telling us here. And that's, that's how you're going to have to map this out. Okay. So let's go to number six. Pastor. Yes, Pastor, I want, this is uh, Linda. I would like to say that um, when it, when I used to do that, I mean, it was amazing. And, and, and I used to do it. And then I would think about what plays out. This is when I was serious about changing. Mm -hmm. It's as though those opportunities for you to go down the road that you just talked about, they, they were many. And, and they, were come, they used to come at me so fast that like you said, you have to tear down those strongholds and do it as quickly as you can, because if they take root, I mean, it could play out just, just as you said, yeah. I was amazed that when I made a decision that I wasn't going to do it anymore, I wasn't going to get caught up in that anymore. I, I, I did really pay attention to, to how a situation or circumstance um, um, would come up to, to have me to walk down that road. Yeah. Yeah. Try and take you down that path. So, I mean, yeah. what, here, here's what you need to do. So there's nothing wrong with thinking about how a conversation might go, but when you say that, or when you're doing that, say, well, if they respond this way, here's the way I'm going to respond. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in love. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get perturbed and annoyed. I'm going to walk in love. And if they say something that hurts my feelings, I'm going to forgive them. 
And what are you doing there? You're not allowing that thought pattern to get already established into your thinking. And, you know, to like Linda's saying, you'll head things off at the pass when you do that. It'll keep it from going down that road. All right. So here we go. Number six. In your waking moments, when, when you're awake, think on the greatness of God and his goodness. Count your blessings. In other words, think about your blessings. And your faith will increase. I love, love, love. Let me say that again. I know that was a lie. In your waking moments, think on the greatness of God, his goodness, and count your blessings. Think about how blessed you are, and your faith will increase. You're, you're building your capacity for your faith to be able to grow. Okay? Anybody need that again? One more time. All right. In your waking moments, think on the greatness of God, his goodness, and count your blessings, and your faith will grow and increase. You know, think about something as simple as thinking of meditating on the greatness of God. You know, because there's sometimes where uh, we're almost tempted to believe our problem is just too big. Okay, our need, you know, if it's a financial need or whatever the case might be, that it's just too big. Now, it might be too big for you, but it's not too big for God. Uh, can I say this to you? There is nothing, no one, nothing that is greater than our God. Nothing is greater than our Heavenly Father. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing is bigger. Nothing has more capacity. So your need, my need, even though it might seem big to us, and we, we're not diminishing that, the mountain might seem like it's huge, but it pales in comparison to how great your God is. And so what you have to do is think about that. You know, and and think about how big your God is. I remember earlier this year, the Lord had directed me to uh, go back, and uh, I had was listening to uh, some broadcast of uh, Pastor George Pearson's and Gloria Copeland on God is my supply, and of course I taught on some of that at the church. Uh, but the reason that the Lord had me go back and, be, and and go over that, and listen, I there were 10 messages in that series, and I have listened to them over and over and over and over again. And the reason being is because the Lord wanted me to build a capacity in my heart to believe that no matter what the need is that we are facing, our God still has an unending supply. Now, I made this uh, comment to you a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, but um, one of the things that we need to do is we need to get supply-minded and not need-minded. In other words, if you'll focus on how the, that our God, your Heavenly Father, has an unending supply, 
then it makes your need seem very small. What happens is, is whether we realize it or not, we begin to think that there's a limited supply in heaven. And there's not. There is an unlimited supply in heaven. All right. So what are you going to have to do? Well, let's, let's look at one Psalm. That's my favorite. And I love this Psalm. The 103rd Psalm, uh, David, uh, wrote this Psalm and, uh, I'll just quote it to you. It says, you know, this is the Psalm where he starts out saying, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul. And here's, here's what I wanted to see and forget not all his benefits. Now I want to say this to you. You're, you're going to have an opportunity to forget your benefits. And David is reminding us, of course, by the spirit of God, you're going to have to put yourself in remembrance of what your benefits are. Now let's, he lists some of the benefits. So he says this in verse three who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I want to say this to you. I love the fact that in that verse it says, and don't forget his benefits. I want you to think about how sometimes with where we work, how diligent we are to find out what our benefits are, okay? You need to do the same thing where the Word of God is concerned. You need to find out what your benefit package is that, that Jesus bought and paid for for you to have and take advantage of your benefits. What a, what a <laughs> terrible thing it would be to get to heaven and find out you had a whole bunch of benefits that you never took advantage of that you could have been enjoying here in the earth. Now, heaven's wonderful. And I, you know, one day I'm looking forward to getting there, but here's the thing that Jesus bought and paid for us to have and enjoy a lot of benefits here in the earth. And we need to find out what those benefits are. And once we find out what they are, David said, don't forget them. So again, he lists them who forgives all your iniquities. You need to think about, okay, I am forgiven. And then he says that he uh, heals all your diseases. Well, yeah, Jesus took my sicknesses and bore my diseases, and by his stripes I'm healed, who redeems your life from destruction. You need to begin to declare over your life, my days of destruction are over. That's a benefit to you. That is something that belongs to you, that he crowns you with loving kindness, and not just mercies, but tender mercies. In other words, you wear loving kindness and tender mercies on you and that he satisfies your mouth with good things and he renews your youth like the eagles. I'm not getting older and decrepit and falling apart. I'm getting better. He, re he renews my youth in Jesus' name. And so those are the benefits. And so you need to count those things, like we said, and remind yourself of those things. And then lastly, Number seven is this, and write this down, please. Make every prayer relative to what you've asked. And talking about your original prayer, where you prayed and released your faith. Make every prayer after that a prayer of thanksgiving. 
make every prayer relative to what you've asked a prayer of thanksgiving for the answer. See, what we don't do is once you've prayed, and this is why I encourage you to write your prayer down and put it in a journal or something like that and say, I have prayed for this on this date and put the scriptures down that you've based that prayer on. And then let me say it to you this way. You never have to lift up that prayer in asking again. Okay. What you do is from that moment, once you've prayed the first time, is every prayer after that goes something like this. Father, I thank you that you've heard my prayer and that the scripture says that when you've heard my prayer, that I have the petitions that I've asked of you. So I thank you, Lord. I have the answer. You know, if it's healing in your body, Father, I praise you and I thank you for healing in my body. If it's finances that you need, Father, thank you. Every need is met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Whatever the situation is, make every prayer a prayer of praise and worship after that point. And I really encourage you to do that. Um, you know, I, I said this to you a while back. There uh, was a great man of God. He's gone home to be with the Lord now named Norval Hayes. And Norval was very skilled in teaching people how to, once they have released their faith, to worship the Lord in, in, in their praise and worship and their thanksgiving towards him. In other words, when, when you have prayed, remember to worship the Lord for the answer. Jesus, I worship you because you've heard my prayer and you answer my prayer. And spend time in worship. Um, and, and listen, let me say this to you. Don't ever let your prayer time be greater than your worship time. Don't ever let your prayer time be greater than your thanksgiving time. Let your thanksgiving, your praise, and your worship always exceed your, your praying and asking time, if that makes sense to you, okay? Now, this is in my notes, but Smith Wigglesworth said this, if you have prayed seven times about one thing, you've prayed six times in unbelief. Let me say that to you again. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you had prayed seven times for any one thing, you've prayed six times in unbelief. And can I say this to you? When you pray in unbelief, you undo your prayer of faith. All right. Andrew Murray said this, it's not good taste to ask God for the same thing over and over again. I think he went on to say, and I didn't write this part of the quote down, but I think he went on to say, it's rather rude, <laughs> you know, to ask God for the same thing over and over and over again. He did say, if when you do pray again, what you prayed for hasn't materialized, don't pray for it again in the same way, because that's unbelief. Remind God that you have already asked for it and what his word says, and tell him that you're expecting it and then thank him for it. Okay. All right. Now we spent four weeks laying this groundwork right here so that we could get into what we're going to talk about next week. And that is how to speed up your manifestation.
The word gives us some things that we can do to speed up the manifestation of the answer to your prayer. All right. Let me make a couple of statements relative to that. And uh, let me say this to you. you. You have to begin to make up your mind that you do not accept anything but answered prayer. Now, what, I don't mean that arrogantly, but what I mean is a lot of times we Christians have an attitude where, where we pray for something, and if we don't get the answer to the prayer, we're like, oh, well, better luck next time, okay? Don't, your prayer life can't be built that way. You're going to have to learn how to be skilled in your prayer life to where when you pray about something, and you release your faith for that thing, uh, you don't accept anything less than the full answer to your prayer. Okay? So Bible faith stays with it until you get the full manifestation. Yes. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. share this illustration with you, and, and then we'll wrap it up. I, I remember hearing, uh, actually, Joel Osteen, told us this story about his dad, John Osteen, great man of faith, love Pastor John, uh, heard him many times before he went home to be with the Lord. But at Lakewood Church, they used to have conferences where they would bring missionaries in from all over the world and uh, feed them and house them and, and to be a blessing to them and then, you know, minister to them and help them and encourage them and so forth. And uh, Pastor John wanted to, uh, and this is many, many years ago, but Pastor John wanted to feed all these missionaries. So he prayed and he believed God for them to be able to receive a full cow so they could use it and provide meat for these missionaries, you know, for good meal steaks and all that type of thing. And of course, down in Texas, you know, cows are plentiful. And so he prayed, he released his faith. And so this was a period of time before this conference was supposed to take place. And so he continued on and they kept getting closer and closer to the conference and the cow had not manifested. In other words, you know, nobody had given, you know, a full uh, cow uh, beef to the church and so forth. And so they finally came up and they were right up on the, the beginning of the conference. And so Pastor John, uh, you know, when he realized, well, you know, something must be wrong. So he sent somebody out and they just ended up going and, and buying all the, the food that they needed, buying all the meat that they needed. And so they, they went through the conference and, and blessed the missionaries and so forth. But after the conference was over, Pastor John had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a big pasture. And out in that pasture was this huge snake. And he saw the snake, and he could clearly see in the belly of that snake, there was a cow standing up, and the snake had swallowed the whole cow. And, and that was the extent of his dream. And what the Lord was showing him in that dream was, because he quit and he gave up, the devil was, was able to come and steal the answer to his prayer, which was on the way. 
And here's what I want, want us to see. I believe we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven and find out how close we came to our breakthrough, how close we came to a miracle, how close we came to receiving what it was we had been praying and believing for, but because of pressure, time constraints, whatever the case might be, we quit and we gave up and we let the devil steal the answer from us. Okay. So that's why I'm excited to talk to you about what we're going to talk about next week, because there are things that you and I can do um, to, to hasten these things. You know, there, there is a misbelief that we've almost fallen into the trap of, and this is true to a certain extent, but um, that with everything we pray about, God has a time and a season. Okay? That is not scriptural. Where the will of God for your life is concerned, yes, God has a time and a season for that. But if it is something that Jesus has bought and paid for and belongs to you, it is already yours and the season and the time is now. Yes. All right. So we have to adjust our thinking a little bit and understand. So if it's something like healing, you know, I'm not waiting on God to heal me when it's his time. Okay. And I've heard that all my Christian life, you know, that, well, we have to wait because God will answer in his time. Okay. No, there are certain things that he does do in his time and in his season where you walking out the will of God in your life is concerned. But if there are things that Jesus has already provided for us and bought and paid for, how silly does it sound if we were to tell somebody, uh, listen, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. And I want to pray with you for you to get born again. But let's also pray that uh, it, it will be maybe God's time and his season for you to get saved right now. Because you never know, it might not be God's time right now. You know, because an answer to prayer, you know, it might not be yes or no. It might be wait. Okay. How, how stupid does that sound when we, if we were to tell somebody that about the new birth? Well, we all know the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And so things that Jesus has bought and paid for, the time is now, the season is now. And can I say this to you? And I'll sum it up with this. Most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, we're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.